Welcome to the Boost Podcast with Kelly Leonard. The podcast providing you with immediate access to tools, tips, and tactics to boost your business and career success. Build your brand, optimize relationships, obtain more leads, secure thought leadership space, and tap into new markets. It's the Boost Podcast. And now, here's Kelly Leonard. Welcome back to the Boost Podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Leonard. In one of my last episodes of the Small Business Network, I interviewed Brian Gunther. He's the CEO of Exceed Cybersecurity and IT Services. We spoke about small businesses' cybersecurity risk, including how to minimize your business's exposure and the common outcomes of an organization suffering from a cyber attack. If you want to build your brand, you need to invest in protecting it. So let's tune in and find out how. Welcome to the program, Brian. Thank you so much for having me, Kelly. I really appreciate it. Excellent, excellent. Well, we've got a lot of ground to go to cover, so let's jump right in. Let's start by just sharing with folks what is cybersecurity and how does it affect businesses? Right. So cybersecurity can best be summarized in a way of protecting the information of clients, vendors, and your company, whether it's intellectual property or other sensitive information that has to be protected from those with prying eyes who shouldn't have access to it. At a very high level, that's really what it is, the mechanisms to protect that information. So there are, are there, you know, because we hear a lot about cybersecurity, are there certain businesses that we find are more at risk of um, than others? It's a great question. And the answer is yes. Um, the businesses that tend to be most at risk that have the most to lose are those in regulated industries. I'll give you some examples. For example, the financial services industry is regulated. Government contractors are regulated. And there are other industries that have either federal or state regulation. The information those businesses tend to hold has a higher level of value because they tend to have more personally identifiable information, also called PII. And that information should be safeguarded. And those industries tend to be, on the whole, again, generically speaking, much more vulnerable uh, to cyber attacks if that data were breached, which means it's stolen. Gotcha. So then that would sort of feed into my next question. because, or Actually, it may be self-explanatory, but I'm going to ask it anyway. <laughs> Why do you think cyber attacks are such um, a big business for businesses? Right. So... That's a a question that unfortunately we have the answer to. It's a big business for cyber criminals. Let's look at that side of the house because there's a lot of low hanging fruit. A lot of businesses out there, small to medium businesses are unfortunately unaware and believe that they're not gonna be targets and they are being compromised, which means somebody gets into the network and ultimately they are breached where data is stolen. Um, And that often can lead to what's called a ransomware attack, right? Where this organization may be asked to pay a ransom to get their data back that may have been encrypted or locked up effectively. Because that is such a lucrative business, cyber criminals, because these are organized cyber crime gangs, make no mistake, they have found out that it's easy pickings, if you will, low hanging fruit. And so they keep going. And so these attacks, cyber attacks are ramping up like you wouldn't believe. Now, and you, you know, you made this, this, and I don't, I don't want to assume that everyone listening in knows what ransomware is. Can you sort of ex- explain that? Yeah, happy to do that. Ransomware is a type of, if you heard of the term malware before, which stands for malicious software, it's a type of malware where in one way or another, 
typically, whether it's through an outside attack by probing for weaknesses in your network, but usually, at least as of late, these um, criminals get into your network typically through phishing attempts. And phishing is effectively mm -hmm. when somebody tricks you through an email, tricks you to click on a link or open an attachment that's infected. And now they, the criminals are inside of your network. And what they do next is that they intend to what we call them. Try not to use very much jargon here. So forgive me if I do. If I use jargon, I will explain what that means. The criminals mm -hmm. intend to or try to move laterally, which is within the network to infect additional machines. What's called a compromise. Okay. And so then those computers are infected and these hackers have what's called in our, in uh, our parlance is called a foothold and they may sit there for quite a while. I'm giving you a little more backstory so you have a, the whole picture. At any given time, these hackers, given their foothold in your network, effectively think of them sort of planting themselves inside of your business's network, and your computers can say, okay, let's go, and they effectively activate this malware. And what then happens is this malware will effectively take the important data inside of your network, or maybe all of it, and encrypt that data. And what that means is that data becomes unusable and it cannot be read or opened. It's encrypted and locked mm. up with a special key, okay? When this happens, typically the small business owner or leadership or the C-suite or somebody in the company will be notified and they realize, oh, geez, we have a problem. And what then happens is that this organization is then asked to pay a ransom for the decryption key, which is effectively the key to unlock the data, almost acting as if they're doing a nice service for the company that they just infected. It's mm. the hubris cannot be overstated. However, they say, hey, we're the problem and the solution for you. Pay our 10 to 50, $250,000 ransom. You know, they call it a, a payment and we'll let you unlock your, your data. So that's essentially what ransomware is. It's, there's no other way to say it's criminal, it's devious, and it's evil, but sadly, it's very common. And, and to that point, because oftentimes I've heard of organizations, unbeknownst to many of us, will pay a ransom without us even knowing that they've paid it in order to get that key. Is that true? Yes, sadly, that is true. I mentioned earlier the regulated industries, right? We talked about that a mm -hmm. little bit. This plays into the unfortunate statistics, which I know several of, and I won't bore you with those statistics right now. The vast majority of small businesses that are breached when data is stolen, personally identifiable information, which whether it's internal information, whether it's client data, it could be social security numbers, dates of birth, credit cards, bank information, could be proprietary business information, intellectual property, when that mm -hmm. is stolen and the information is ransomed, at this point, um, yes, the, 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 the criminals have what they need effectively. They're saying, you are at our beck and call and we are mm -hmm. going to hold you hostage essentially until you pay. So then why do you think, um, and now we're, we're going into the psychology of leadership, why do you think some organizations decide, hey, you know what, we're going to go ahead and pay the ransom and we're not going to sort of make a public declaration around the fact that we've been breached while others will make the public declaration to say, hey, we've been breached and we're not going to pay a ransom? Like, What do you think is the psychology behind why some mm -hmm. 
folks or even the business case for why some organizations will let the general public know that they've been breached and that there's this ransom that's being asked for versus those that just go ahead and quietly pay? Sure. It really comes down to self-preservation, right? It's a Mm. bit of the, I guess it falls into the same category as fight or flight. What do we do to preserve our way of life, whether it's our lifestyle, whether it's our business, whatever that might be. And it also comes down to whether, again, there is a requirement for public disclosure of this breach within that company. You will often not hear about this publicly, even though their customers whose data was taken after a thorough forensic investigation is done, just to be clear. And Mm -hmm. they are then notified under guidance of a variety of different um, inside assistance after a breach occurs. The psychology essentially is why do they they not notify people? Why do we not hear about it? That's a rampant problem. So we believe that the quote unquote dark number, the known unknown out there is much greater than is being reported. There's a saying, which is there's no such thing as bad press. Well, this is probably Mm -hmm. the exception. There is bad press and it can come down to losing uh, clients, losing face, um, and Mm -hmm. really having a dramatic impact on that business. Because consider when your information is stolen from someone whom you trust, that that trust is effectively breached, is broken. And so I can understand the rationale why a business owner may decide not to reveal this publicly and only do the bare minimum to notify certain authorities and maybe the people whose data was affected. There are laws around that, state and federal laws, Mm -hmm. by notification in case of a breach. However, they may not have to notify people make make a public declaration. Well, is there a, what's the likelihood? So let's say I'm a small business and I'm breached and I pay the ransom. Is there a greater likelihood that the same perpetrators are going to potentially come after me again? Because they know I'm going to pay ultimately. Okay. That's correct. So what actually happens is that um, there is a a frightening percentage, which is 28% of businesses that are attacked and suffer a breach and pay the ransom are actually breached again, because guess what? Mm. Word travels fast, the word gets out, and the cyber criminals now know, hey, we know they'll pay, so why not hit them again? Right, yeah, I can only I can only imagine. So how about, let's pivot a little bit, because I know so many folks who are joining us online, and many of whom would Previously, per- perhaps we're going into offices and now you've got folks that are working remotely. So from home in various locations, have you seen um, sort of a shifting or an increase in risk because of COVID and the fact that so many organizations and their teams are working virtually? Yes, COVID was in many ways what I would consider the great equalizer, right? It reshifted, it refocused our business as a whole. It refocused many industries, how we operate, how we work together, how we collaborate. Um, and in March 2020, everything as we know, historically, everything changed. Um, at that time, businesses all over the world had to suddenly pivot. Uh, suddenly is an understatement. Almost overnight had to pivot, send their people home because we had a pandemic at our door. When that happened, those businesses that were prepared and had what I would consider a proper security posture is what the term that we use, um, for example, had company assets. And by that, I mean like a company laptops they could give their employees or company computers that were properly secured, protected, monitored and managed, sent those employees home. But a lot of businesses 
or were not able to get their hands on the equipment and said, oh my God, we just have desktops in the office. We're just gonna send you home. Just go ahead and use your personal computer, okay? And then you can access work from there, not really understanding the impact that would have on the security and accessibility of the data. Think about, you know, um, you know, John works from home and John is now suddenly told, oh, use your home computer, we have to pivot suddenly. And he's using the family computer. Who knows mm. what's on that family computer, right. what it's being used for. Maybe little jo Johnny Jr. is gaming on that computer. Who knows whether that machine is infected, has malware on it itself. So you can see if you extrapolate that, how you know really bad that can become. And that's really just one example of that. There are other issues as far as accessing information that's now in the office. How do you do that securely suddenly? So at least in the first few months, six months to a year, a lot of allowances had been made in order to accommodate the work from home staff. So because of that, have we seen an increase in cyber attacks because of the vulnerabilities? Yes, there are. There is certainly what we call, again, I'm going to explain the term, what's called the attack surface in many different ways. If there's more attack vectors and the attack surface is increased, that means that more uh, you know, cyber criminals can attack different components that are part of your network, whether it's a computer in the office, whether it's a computer at home, that increases the risk level. So inherently, because of that, the risk increases because now you have additional devices that may not be managed or monitored or in other ways vulnerable that now will effectively become an ingress point into the, the company network. Wow. And so are there a few because, you know, the the example that you shared around someone sort of suddenly you're going home and now you're working on a, a desktop. I wasn't even thinking about, OK, pivoting and working off the family's um, computer. I was because uh, fortunately I had the luxury of, you know, just going home with my work laptop. And so I wasn't even thinking about the fact that, OK, now I'm using a home based technology that may or may not even have the proper um, security and um, virus protection and things like that. I was thinking about my physical laptop that I have from my employer that I'm bringing home with me. So you bring up a really great point. But what are a few, um, I guess, strategies or um, tangible action steps that a business can take um, to proactively engage um, itself to reduce its threat of cyber attacks, given the fact that so many of their folks on their workforce may be working remotely? It's a great question. <clears throat> the absolute first thing that a business should do is have and develop, if they don't have one, speak to somebody who can help you, is develop a cybersecurity strategy. The last thing you want to do is, is, is fix this with little point-based tactics, right? Oh, well, well, we'll do this and that, but not all these other important facets. So really it begins with a, with a high level strategy around cybersecurity. What's important to the business? Do we have written security policies? Do we have procedures? Do we have certain process around that? Is there a culture of cybersecurity protecting the information in the company? Is that being taken seriously? Uh, another, uh, another item I would say that's really important is I would absolutely, if, at, as best as possible, as quickly as possible, purchase laptops for your employees or desktops, whatever they may be, properly secure them, patch them, manage them with the proper, not just antivirus software, because that's just not good enough anymore. 
Back in the day mm -hmm. when you had Norton or McAfee or another brand of antivirus software, this is really child's play for cyber criminals today. So an, a corporate asset, and that means a laptop owned by the business that's managed and controlled by it, not accessed from other people in the office, ideally also using something called a virtual private network or abbreviated mm -hmm. as a VPN that effectively allows for a secure channel from that laptop into the office or to another what we would consider a cloud-based system to make sure the transmission of that data is secure. But at the, at the core level, you really, if you don't have a secure device that's managed and secured from the get-go, you're already swimming against the tide. And the last thing I want to mention, this is tactical, but it's part of the overarching strategy, is making sure that there's a culture of cybersecurity and that your team has been properly trained and has ongoing, not once, not once a year, ongoing cybersecurity awareness training. Because tactics are changing all the time and criminals are really crafty. It's so funny that you um, emphasized that culture of cybersecurity um, because I had written that down and I was like, OK, I want to talk about that a little bit deeper. So what does that look like? So you talked about ongoing training. Um, is that like some sort of online, like web based training? What does it look like to build a culture of cybersecurity inside of an organization? Awesome question. And that's really the most important thing is having a culture of cybersecurity. It really begins, believe it or not, at the top, like a lot of things, right? Culture and the way a business behaves flows down from the top. And as long as you have a leadership, whether it's ownership or the C-suite, uh, making sure the upper and middle management know, listen, we can't just have this lackadaisical um approach to securing information. We can't just cut corners anymore. This has to be taken very seriously. So it really begins there. Then at that point, it comes down to identifying a vendor, ideally, right? Working with your ideal with your security provider, um, because, and this is probably a great place to perhaps do a little bit of segmentation and talk about that your IT people, your people that manage your computers, your network and do your help desk and so on, those folks are typically, say more than nine out of 10 times, they're not aware of what it takes to properly secure your systems. And don't just mean with mm -hmm. software, this is a higher level security strategy. So a, whether it's internal IT, or whether it's an external, what's called a managed services provider, whether you in-house in or outsource it, those organizations mm -hmm. almost never also include uh, security systems, because what often happens after a breach, the leadership or ownership will say, oh, my God, how this happened? I thought you were protecting me. I thought you were dot, dot, dot. We hear that a lot, unfortunately. But what never really happened was a conversation taking place and saying, listen, here are all the risks you have. Let's analyze that. Let's talk about it. Let's put in place a proper security strategy. And I know you asked the question. I don't want to not answer your question about how to now best train the staff. And again, it starts with the cybersecurity posture that's cultural and that's important. And then from that point forward, there's a lot of components that have to be integrated. Like I talked about policies, procedures, and everybody knows, listen, we're all rowing in the same direction, okay? So I know that was a long-winded answer, I apologize, but there's 
could probably talk about that for a long time. No, no, I love that. And it's so interesting, though, because when you talk about having sort of a culture of cybersecurity, um, you know, I'm very mindful almost to a fault. Like anytime I get an email, I'm like looking for the, where's the gotcha in this email? Like, is this really from the person that it appears to be from? And I mean, cause the criminals are so crafty, um, down to like, I, I got an email not too long ago that really had me scratching my head. Like, wait, is this really from the person who I think it's from? Like it see, it's reads like it is. And whoever sent this to me knows that this person is on my team. And so it was just like all of the perfect pieces that were in this message that I could totally understand how someone could very innocently just click on the link. But, you know, it all came down to what what I was trained, what my eye had been trained to do. And I guess it also helps that I live with a, a tech uh, professional, but I looked at who the email was coming from, like the physical email address. And that was the only thing that really helped me to understand that, wait a second, this is a, it looks like it's phishing because this email address, it was like some random Gmail address. And so naturally I knew that it wasn't actually from the person who it seemed like it was from, but how do you then get your team, an organization, an entire group of people, and especially when you've got folks that are moving at the speed of light and just trying to get their job done and folks are managing, you know, households and they're multitasking while they're, you know, working at home or living at work, however you want to view it. But how do you really get folks to slow down to really pay attention to things like that? Well, first of all, I want to give you a sobering statistic. 94% 94% of attacks, cyber attacks, are delivered via email. 94%. Mm, okay. And that means that social engineering, which is effectively doing what's called trickery, using words and using maybe something you recognize, um, maybe, hey, maybe it's a delivery notification from FedEx or maybe from, from UPS or something to that effect, the, the criminals are getting crafty. And as you indicated, they're wording their emails in such a way and making it look like, oh, I trust this. Right. It, it instills trust in me. And that effectively calls leads to what they would, would in marketing. You would call a call to action. Right. Which is what do they want mm-hmm. me to do? Oh, they want to click this link. You indicated various different ways in your explanation in which they can fool you. They may use a name that you trust, but it comes from a random Gmail address. All they did was they changed the display name on the email account that may be listed as the CFO or the president of the company. And you go, oh, this is important. I should act on this. Why would I not? Right. So they're intending to trick you and they're effectively using this human tendency of being trusting. We are trusting, mm-hmm. you know, beings. Uh, and so use this tendency of we want to trust others. We want to really believe that others have the best, you know, at, at, um, you know, at, at, at play for us and that they're really looking to yeah. help us. And they're using that to to do to do something that is you know, devious and that helps them, you know, exercise their intentions. Yeah, that's so, that's so true. And at the end of the day, so many of us want to help, right? So when we get that email and it's like, I need a favor, you're like, ah, okay, <laughs> you know, wonder twin powers activate. How can I help this person? And so they, they, they do play on those vulnerabilities. And so let's talk about, um, from your perspective, what are some of the common outcomes that you see organizations have to deal with as a result of a cyber attack. I think you alluded to like one being like, um, you know, the public, 
you know, sort of what the public then views the, their impression of them in the public light. So what are some of those other outcomes that you commonly see happen after an organization has sort of a public um, breach of their information? Mm-hmm. So let me start off with the answer to that question with a, another sobering statistic that I want to be sure that your viewership is aware of. This is really unfortunate. 61% of small to medium businesses who are breached are out of business within a year because they could not weather the wow. storm in whatever fashion that came, whether it was a ransom payment, whether it was a fallout from that breach that occurred. So I just want to make sure I share that with your viewership. What can happen are a, a litany of different things that can occur at this time. But let's assume you have been breached and you know that's what happened. Let's say it was ransomware, like we talked about earlier. It's very evident. You may get a, a pop-up on screen or you can't just uh, even open your, your files or some of your employees can't open their information. They contact the IT person, eventually works its way up to um, the owner or the C-suite or the president of the company. And at this point, they, they have the oh, oh crap moment, right? So what do we do? Mm-hmm. The first thing you can do as far as I want to, first of all, give some people a little bit of advice, right? Because this is intended to be informational and helpful. So the first thing they should do is, first of all, contact their IT organization, okay? Hopefully they already have a security plan in place and they have a written information security policy, what's called a WISP mm-hmm. and a breach plan, okay? An incident response plan. IRP. And hopefully they have these documents that tell them what to do. These policies explicitly outline what the steps are to take. And they could be myriad, but they could include, it could be contacting uh, your insurance company. And often that is a good first step. Let's assume you do not have these policies in place. Call your insurance company. And I hope that your firm has cyber liability insurance. If you don't, talk to your agent now. A lot of policies are not paying the breach damage if certain things were not done. And a lot of businesses are painfully unaware of that. And there, again, are myriad things that could happen that we could go through in this process. But typically, one of the first steps would be call the insurance company. They will often assign what's called a breach coach. Yes, that is a thing. An actual Mm. breach coach to help you through this, the thicket and this nightmare scenario and how to help recover from this. Um, sometimes a breach coach will recommend, depending on what kind of business you are, depending on the industry, maybe even to contact a law firm to be an intermediary and a third party to help protect your business in the best way possible. Okay, But there could be various steps that you go through, but the objective is to clean up the mess, if you will, right? clean up the breach, which typically takes an experienced remediation cybersecurity firm, which just to be clear, we are not remediators. There are specialists who do that, right? We help people manage their day-to-day security, but they part of that will be reaching out to somebody to help clean these things up and get them back into business, then assess the damage and the fallout, and ultimately what private or public or private, excuse me, personally identifiable information has been compromised and who needs to be notified in the long term. Mm. So then when you mention that statistic of the 61 percent of small businesses being out of business, is it primarily because of the cost associated with fixing the breach or is it like the ransomware cost? Is it the lack of, you know, they have the public trust that's lost or the client trust that's lost that then results in the erosion of their business? What typically is the trigger that rec- that causes 
the six that's such a high statistic? Well, generally speaking, and I can't speak for every incident because I wasn't there, right? But it's mm-hmm. all of the above. It could be the okay. cost of the ransomware. It could be the cost of cleaning up the um, cleaning up the the breach. It could be the cost mm-hmm. of the trust erosion, as you mentioned just a second ago, that happens. Because mm-hmm. again, like I mentioned before, think about those customers or vendors, um, but typically yeah. customers who pay you because sales and revenue is the lifeblood of any business, even if we're a nonprofit, yeah. right? Even there. Um, but if that happens, that trust is eroded the probability or the likelihood is greater than not that they'll have severe problems staying afloat unless they're very cash heavy, right? They have a lot of cash on hand to weather that storm, which is why it's extremely, and I cannot overstate this, it is extremely critical that you reach out to not only a a proper managed security services provider, what's called an MSSP, and Mm -hmm. contact your insurance carrier, your agent, talking about cyber liability insurance to ensure that the things that you say are done on the application are actually done. Because when there are breach occurs, you want to be sure your claim is not denied. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Brian, this has been such an enlightening conversation. Thank you for sharing your insights and expertise with us. Thank you and be well. Well, that concludes this episode of the Boost Podcast. Thank you again for listening in. If you don't mind, if you could like, subscribe, or share the podcast with a friend, I would greatly appreciate it. For more information on anything Boost related, you can visit our website at www.kellytleonard.com. 